Hi everyone, I'm Laura Stembridge and welcome to the Inside Out podcast, the show where I talk to people about how they are feeling mentally. We discuss what's really troubling them on the inside and we get it out into the open. We chat about how people cope with difficult periods in their lives and what they do now to maintain a state of happiness. I've got a brilliant show lined up for you today. I'm going to be talking to Ollie Phillips. Ollie is the ex-England Rugby Sevens captain and has a monumental career both on and off the pitch. He's been through a lot and is very candid about his story. You're definitely going to love this episode. Before we kick off, for those of you that haven't heard of Inside Out, it's an app that allows you to access coaching and therapy support whenever you may need it. Searching for coaches and therapists can be really difficult, but by completing a simple questionnaire, Inside Out connects you to the therapists and coaches who are skilled to help you. So go take a look at the app. You can find it on the App Store, the Google Play Store. Just search for Inside Out. So now it's time for the show. Let's go meet Ollie. So what we normally do before we dive into the main body of the podcast, we ask uh, 10 quick fire questions. Yep. So this is just so we can get to know you a little bit better. Yeah. So questions about you. First thing that comes into your head, quick fire. Yep. Perfect. Let's go. So what's the first thing you did when you woke up this morning? Cuddled my daughter. What's the most exciting piece of news you've had in the last seven days? Well, it's not... The most exciting news in terms of recent, but that we're going up Everest in two and a half weeks. So I've known this for a little while, but obviously every day, in the last seven days, it's getting closer. So two and a half weeks, here we come. Amazing. Uh, where did you grow up? Brighton. Killers or chili peppers? Uh, red hot chili peppers. Which rugby team do you support? Stade Francais. Beach or mountains? Mountain. Where's your favourite place to relax and unwind? The cinema. What day in your life would you like to relive? Birth of my daughter. Just amazing. What's the best gift someone could ever give you? I can't keep saying my daughter, so... um, (laughs) uh, It will be my family in general, like the the feeling I have at this present moment of time with my family of feeling feeling totally complete. Um, What advice would you give to your teenage self? Do it all again. Just don't worry about what other people think. You've had the most incredible career, both on and off the pitch. You've played professional rugby. You've played for England. You've played at club level, sevens, fifteens. Become a director at PwC. You've been an adventurer. You do a lot of work for charity. That's quite an awesome start for someone that's in their mid thirties. Yeah, it's been great. It's been a really, really fun uh, adventure. You know, I hope that it's just the start of many more, more to come as well. Um, yeah, I, I wish I could say sort of it's been by design, but but you know, it's been a few sort of following of paths that I didn't really know where they were going to go, but in the end, they sort of came good. But yeah, it, it's I've been very, very lucky that it, you know, thirty six to have experienced some of the things that I've. I've experienced and more importantly to have sort of met some of the people that I've met and have friends that I now have. So um, that I'm very, very grateful for. So rugby's obviously played a huge part in your life. You went to to Durham, you you played club rugby, went into professional rugby and then, you know, sadly 
through that period of time, you unexpectedly had to stop playing because of an injury. Yeah, I have. And yeah, that, it was it was in a very tough, well, it was an incredibly enjoyable period, if I'm, if I'm honest, like that whole period of, of, of my life. The end wasn't the way I wanted it to end, and that was pretty t pretty difficult for me to sort of deal with. And the transition away from that was, you know, was a hard one. But I think the greatest thing of the whole the whole journey, the whole experience, has been the people that I have met, and it's been the the bonds that I've built with lots of lots of different people from lots of different walks of life. And perhaps the biggest and starkest contrast was coming from university club rugby which was sort of amateur and all about the sort of you know the ethos of the game of, of team and being a, a, a great club player club moon and whatever else to then winning at all costs in a highly competitive environment in in sort of elite level professional sport and both of them had their merits and both of them sort of had their downfalls i'm, I'm very pleased and lucky that i got to experience both so we were chatting earlier and you were saying that alongside rugby, you know, you're also very good at other sports and it was sort of the competitive nature that you really liked about sport. And that was sort of, you know, what was driving you, you know, to, to keep playing you know, things from rugby to cricket to, to hockey. What was kind of the, the biggest driver for you to, to get into sport in the first place? I just, I just think I loved being active the whole time. That was the, you know, the, the biggest thing for me was that I I love the ability to be around loads of different people and use the medium of sport to meet those people was was incredible. And the fact that I could then go out and just move around and be incredibly fit and active the whole time is what I loved. And it didn't matter to me what the sport was. I think obviously it probably helped and added to to the enjoyment that I I just was fortuitously like quite good at them. And as a result of that, you know, I... I really sort of flourished in, in that environment and it sort of it felt like where I was home. But then as you, you know, as you grow up and get a little bit older and you go to, to university and wherever, they start to sort of channel you and make you, make you focus a bit on, on one sport, which I remember being a bit of a disappointment to me when I went to Durham that I, you know, had to pick something. But equally, uh, you know, head and shoulders above all of the, the, the sports that I loved and enjoyed playing was rugby. You know, I was the best at that in terms of out, out of all of them. And... And I enjoyed it the most, so it was it was an obvious pick for me when I when I got to university, and thankfully, but you know because of that decision or whatever else, I obviously then went on to enjoy the career that I did, and yeah, and it was a, and it was and is still an amazing thing to be a part of and a, and a memory to have. So, what did the sort of ten years following university look like for you? Well, just a lot of fun. What it looked like it was um playing rugby the yeah. highs and lows of winning games being with friends yeah i mean well obviously making loads of friends and i think now elite level sport is, is is it was strange in you know when i was at university I, it was my my team was filled with people that wanted to be there because they loved rugby you know it was their passion point so they were paying their subs and they were you know making all the effort to to, to get involved because they loved the sport of rugby mm -hmm. At elite level sport, it wasn't always like that. You know, it wasn't always, it wasn't filled with loads of people that loved rugby. It was filled with people that were good at rugby. And they were there because they were good at rugby and they could make a living out of it. Now, that doesn't mean that it wasn't filled with lots of people that loved it too. But, you know, there was, a, it was the first time ever that I'd seen this spectrum of like, actually, this isn't all about enjoyment now. This is actually about 
you know, winning. It's is about money. This is about extolling a, a profession, like a, a being recognised for being very, very good at something rather than actually being very, very passionate about something. And and that was just that was a different transition, a different concept for me. But those ten years were amazing, nonetheless. You know, I, I had five of those with Newcastle. Uh, three of them with Stanford say, and then two with Gloucester and all amazing clubs in fabulous cities. And I think that's one of the, you know, the special things about rugby and in particular one of the things I loved about my career was that I got to see so many areas of the world, not just you know, Newcastle, Gloucester and France, but 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 through through England, going all around the world, you know, travelling all around the world to Hong Kong, South, Singapore, South Africa, Dubai down to the southern, all the way in the southern hemisphere in Australia and New Zealand, all these places that I probably wouldn't have gone as a 20-year-old if I was working in the city or whatever. Suddenly I was experiencing them year in, year out because of travel with England. I mean, that must have been quite a, a euphoria moment when you're walking out onto the sevens pitches in some of these amazing cities around the world, stadiums with 80 plus thousand people in them, walking out onto the pitch, screaming fans. Yeah, some of it, well... Some of them were amazing. Some of them were not that uh, friendly environment. But, you know, for, fortunately, when you play for England as well, a lot of these places you go, they, you know, they love you. Hong Kong, Dubai, London, you're a fan's favourite. But then if you go somewhere like New Zealand in Wellington, they, I mean, they absolutely hate you. I mean, they you know, play Dad's Army and chuck warm bottles of you know, water, obviously, you know, all over you. And that's, it's amazingly hostile. I, I've, I, but I, it was an amazing experience, but I, I can remember enjoying both sides. It was great to have this positive influence that's willing you to win, at, you know, at all costs. And you are the sort of number one fans favorite as a team. But equally on the, on the flip side, being in, the, in a real cauldron of hostility that you know, no one in this whole place wants you to, to win. In fact, every single person here wants you to slip up, wants you to make a mistake. So you've really got to focus and produce your you know your absolute best in order to make sure that you don't slip up and and make the mistake that they all want you to do and that must be really hard you know sort of dealing with that pressure you know you've got the pressure of the public watching your every move you've got the pressure of your teammates delivering for part of your team you know pressure of the manager um so the sort of the performance side of it but that coupled with the other pressures that come with professional sport you know living in the spotlight of the media pressure financially in terms of salaries and things like that yeah can't be a yeah, of course. I mean, obviously, you know, the pressures of a, a profession are there for everybody. You know, you, you've got to, you know, you've got to deliver in your job, whatever it is. Um, so that threat is is there for everybody in terms of like you know, putting food on the table and getting a salary. But I think, yeah, the, the spotlight that was being shone on, on you as a young adult and you were expected to sort of extol all of these and represent all of these amazing values and principles and behaviours and be a role model for people... Yeah, if they're just in some of the you know, sorry states that we'd got ourselves into in university, they probably wouldn't have thought we were that good at role models. But um, yeah, I, I, there was a lot of pressure. And fundamentally, you know, the best players in the world were those that managed that pressure and, if anything, thrived off that pressure. And some of the worst is probably the worst, you know, not a good description, but you know, some of the worst players were those that couldn't manage it that, that crumbled under that and it's kind of that resilience piece of being resilient being able to to manage and effectively deal with the emotions that come at you yeah it's if anything it's, man, it's managing your own emotions and how you react towards those and well in those scenarios to be honest being able to just switch them off 
you know, totally switch your own emotions off so that you don't so that you don't react and respond to them in you know a negative way in it and being able to channel them into a into a positive energy state if you like and that's sometimes hard you know that's sometimes hard and being able to think clearly under that immense pressure with that immense level of attention and spotlight on you coupled with all the other things that are going on in your brain around you know the pressures of winning the pressures of performance the pressure to get picked again the, and then as you said you know the pressure to keep my salary and get a new contract and play for England and captain England and whatever yeah there was yeah of course there were there were you know were pressures but in that in a weird way and obviously now in hindsight um I think slightly different on it all, but it was quite an egotistical existence for me, a narcissistic ex existence. And you, know, you lap that up, you know, you absolutely lap the opportunity for pressure. But equally, when you managed it and you perform well, you got all the adulation, you got the all the credit, and ultimately you got the W on the on the on on the results sheet at the end of it all. So your career came to an abrupt halt unexpectedly you know, through an injury. And from what I, you know, from when we were chatting previously, you know, you were kind of indicating that maybe your last game you didn't feel would be your last game to playing again post injury. So how do you kind of deal with the emotions and kind of going through that moment of realizing that you weren't ever going to go back to what it was that you loved doing? I, I found that really, really hard. You know, I had a had a clear plan of of. Going to Olympic Games, the plan was to to play in a World Cup, play Commonwealth Games, and then two year run up at the Olympics. And I fell at the first hurdle of a, a World Cup. And yeah, my whole identity, my whole sort of now, Ollie Phillips was a rugby player. That's who I was. That's that's what I did. That was my my very being, if you like. If ever since the age of four, that's what I'd known. That was what I was good at. That was what I was recognised for. So for that not to be there anymore was hard you know and and I think there was a real reluctance and a resistance from me at the start well not even just the start for about two years two and a half years to accept that actually it was all over you know, I wasn't going to be Ollie Phillips the rugby player anymore I, you know, now was the time to become Ollie Phillips the whatever I was going to become um, it doesn't mean I lose that identity it doesn't mean I lose that memory but it's just being empowered to then go and find a new profession, a new career, which lots of people do, but you know, not, I guess, maybe not in such an extreme manner. That you know, I think professional sport is one of the few places where you actually you, know, you retire twice. You, know, you you build up this huge amount of momentum. It was for me, ever since I was four, to become a professional rugby player, you know, I lived and breathed it, did everything about it, and then it all came to an abrupt end at 29. And then you're like, okay, right, start again. You know, now where, now where do we go? Um, but the, you know, the pressures as a four-year-old are a lot different than the pressures as a thirty-year-old. So, um, so it's just, yeah, different, very, very different, and very, you know, the challenge is very different as well. So, what did the mental health journey look like for you? I'd imagine all of a sudden that kind of loss of structure in, in terms of your day, daily routine, the loss of identity that you've alluded to in terms of Ollie, the rugby player, loss of doing what it is that you love and having to, to come to terms with that. That must have prompted feelings of you know, anxiety, depression. Yeah, I mean, I think there was a real um, 
resistance to her sort of acknowledging that at the start. So like a denial period yeah, of denial. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, a massive period of denial of, I oh, just, you know, I'll be fine. Uh, just, you know. For me, it was always just about, I guess, approaching it, how I'd always approach rugby. If we lost, it was sort of, okay, well, let's just roll our sleeves up, work harder, um, you know, dig in, and it'll all come good in the end. And so, you know, for me, it was about, oh, let's just get back out into the ether, go and meet more people, go and do more things, go and be more um, out, out there, gregarious or whatever, and without really sort of taking time to understand, like, actually, like, who I was, what I wanted to, to do, who I wanted to be in the next stage of my my life. And, uh, and that took me a long, long time to sort of accept that, you know what, Ollie, you are not Ollie Phillips, England rugby captain anymore. You are Ollie Phillips. That's it. You know, Ollie Phillips, whoever I was gonna gonna become, and I would live in the past rather than the present. Or, or and I wouldn't really be looking to the future. I'd be sort of reminiscing on what was. So you know, that that took a long, long time to to deal with. Would you say your sort of behaviour changed and your outlook on life? compared to how you were behaving and interacting with people yeah. pre-injury. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I was always sort of like like the yes man, you know, like yes to everything. But you know, for me, uh, my behavior changed because I was seeking approval and adulation and adoration from people, you know, now. My whole career had been based on, you know, train a week, play on the weekend, see the coach, how did I play coach, get recognition approval that you've done a good job they tell you where you've done wrong you go away you make sure you sort that out then you play again and you win and you get the mm. recognition from your coach and obviously eighty thousand fans and the press and the media that you're doing a good job equally if, if you know you're doing a bad job you you knew about it quite quickly whereas in my new like like line of career my new life if you like after rugby you know, th those lines were were blurred and I, I couldn't get that recognition. I couldn't get that approval. And so I sought that in relationships, you know, from people, women, jobs, like, oh, I'll do that. Oh, I'll do that. Yeah, we'll go on a date or you know, I'll do this for you. You know, you tell me that I'm great. And as a result of that, you know, that was a sort of hiding to nothing because you'd end up, you just, well, over promising to loads and loads of people or having multiple you know, relationships all over the place but actually delivering on none of them because one you're not engaged in it and and two you've got nowhere near the time or the capacity to actually deliver anything of real worth or value and so you then get massively disappointed with yourself and it becomes a sort of self-fulfilling prophecy that just keeps going round and round and round you find you sort of spiral further and further down yeah yeah, yeah. and you and as you go you feel like you're disappointing more and more people yeah. and that's exactly not what you especially if you're somebody that's seeking approval and adoration, the last thing you want are like people that don't approve of you or don't like you or whatever. So you're like, oh God, and you work even harder to, to try and right those wrongs. You make more promises that you can't actually really keep and it becomes a bit of a... Yeah, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah, yeah, a bit of a disaster zone. You know, when you were in your sort of your, your downward spiral, kind of, you know, looking to fulfil different gaps that might have been missing you know, did you ever turn to maybe some different types of substances or yeah i mean 
for me, it was never, um, you know, I was never drugs or alcohol or anything like that. That was never my vice. Mm-hmm. If any, my vice was women. So like that was my sort of like get out. That was my sort of like, you know, make me feel better kind of thing. Because you know, I loved people. I loved relationships. I loved the stuff that came out of that. So I would just try and, you know, have five, four, five, six women all 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 on the go at one time all that like you know all that I was having unbelievable moments of like oh this is brilliant and the best things it sliced bread but never truly being invested in the relationship emotionally um and so again that's you know became this you know, a bit of a negative experience because you know, I get these huge highs and emotional highs of like wow that's brilliant but then something would happen and it would get a bit stale or a bit boring and be like, oh God, this is disaster. They're not the right person. You know, just constantly basically expecting the impossible, which is these massive euph- euphoric moments of emotion that, that yeah, just, they're just not, well, maintainable. It's just not yeah. feasible within life in general. And, um, uh, and, and that, that became, that was my vice, you know, that was my sort of cycle that I needed to, to break and, well, I don't know. Fortunately, unfortunately, whatever, it wasn't a you know, substance abuse or whatever. Um, you know, it was, an, I guess, an emotional abuse. But you know, what I hated about it was the the outcome was still the same, whether it's drugs, you know, drink, or whatever. It was you still were hurting people. At the end of it, you were still affecting other people's lives as well as ruining your own. Do you think you'd go as far as saying it was almost like a sex addiction? Yeah, close. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, probably. Yeah. I, it was probably. I don't even know if it was the. It probably wasn't even the action of that, yeah. to be honest. It was just the thrill of the chase, the challenge, the 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 relationship side, the emotional side, than the actual sex itself. I mean, that was probably the, the reward at the end of it all. But it wasn't that. It was it was the whole sort of build up and the, like, can this happen? And you know, wow, you know, they think I'm amazing and this is brilliant and isn't this this huge high for everybody? Yeah. And then oh, okay. Well, no, this is a bit normal now. So at what point do you think you realised, you know, well, actually, this isn't right, you know, my behaviour, my feelings, my emotions, like, I need to change this, I need to break out of this cycle. And you know, did you make that identity or did someone recognise that within you? No, it was just, it was a sort of, well, I guess sort of self-recognition. You know, I, uh, as I said, like, uh, as a result of that sort of behaviour, you end up disappointing and hurting people along the way because... Well, if you are like having these big euphoric moments of emotion with people, there's an emotional attachment and they think that this is the makings and starting of something that's really special. And the reality of it is, it's, it's you know, for me, it wasn't because I just wasn't in the headspace or emotionally ready to back up all these sort of false promises that I've been making. So I think, yeah, the, the moment, you know, came when you know, I'd hurt a few people and what, you know, one in particular that I was sort of like, actually, if I keep going like this, I'm just going to end up a very sort of sorry and lonely old man. So, you know, I either, either deal with this now, address this now, or, you know, we're just going to, you know, get the same the same result, you know. Like it's that, the old, clo- the old quote that, you know, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting for, expecting a different result. So... I thought, okay, I've 
really got to go and sort myself out here. And was that sort of the first time that mental health had come onto your radar, do you think? Or had you experienced other signs, symptoms, or seen perhaps other people go through difficult times where you thought, actually, you know what, mental health is something that, that exists, you know, needs to be taken care of and we need to, to give it the same respect as, our, you know, we look after it the same way we do our physical health. Yeah, I mean, I just don't, I never really had sort of appreciated it. It was it was definitely taboo, if you know what I mean, in the, mm, in the changing rooms, probably in society in general, you know, it definitely, you know, it wasn't that encouraged to really talk about your feelings. You know, you were whatever, a big burly rugby player kind of thing. Like it, that wasn't the, you know, the done thing. And equally when you were sort of so positive, so upbeat, so outgoing, you know, how could you possibly be sort of fallible? So yeah, so you, you didn't want to admit, you know, mental health issues as, as a sign of, I don't know, whatever, weakness or, or being fallible or whatever. So it was definitely not something that I'd come, I guess it was something I buried you know, underneath it. I just thought it would never, never be something I would have to deal with or have to worry about. Which in itself, that that sort of ignorance is was bliss at that point in time. But um, yeah, I just think I I realised uh, I I need to do something to change here, and it was an um, it was an emotional psychological state than anything physical, and I needed to get myself out of that rut and and back in tune with what I really wanted and what I really needed in life, what was going to make me happy, rather than getting these short short term hits if you like these short term highs from making loads of other people happy um but leave but feeling pretty unfulfilled at the end of it all personally so what did you do do you sort of seek a, a coach and a counselor yeah, yeah 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 so through the rpa which is our sort of players union there's there's a company called cognacity and um well i reached out to the rpa and said look i'm really struggling here with a few bits and you know, I don't really know what it is I'm going through. I don't know if it's depression or whatever. I mean, I never, I never, I never wanted to probably admit that that's what it was. So it was sort of like, you know, I just don't feel great. And I think it'd be good if I could just talk to somebody about you know, my transition because I really want to maximise my work opportunity or something. Like, I just didn't want to admit that it was about me feeling shit, pretty shit. It was about, oh, how do I, how do I get the, you know, how do, I, how do I become even better at what I'm doing at the moment rather than actually recognising and admitting to people, oh, uh, I'm, I'm feeling pretty vulnerable. Yeah. yeah. So, so that was probably initially how I approached it. But either way, you know, the end product was, was what I needed. Um, and it just took a bit of time to go through all that process, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Did you open up to your friends and family at any point or did you sort of try to tackle it head on alone? Not really, no. I mean, I did try and tackle it sort of head on alone just because nobody, I just felt nobody could really understand. You know, I, I could talk, I would talk to some people about it, but they would all, you know, often come back to all the positives and they would sort of tell me just things that, I don't know, realistically, I just didn't want to hear. They're like, yeah, but you, why, why are you worrying? You've got, you know, you've had such a great career and you've got so many things in front of you and you've so many opportunities and you've got a great job and, and it was sort of like, look, I don't, I don't need you to tell me the, the great things that I've got. I, I need to sort of deal with the insecurities that I have or anxieties I've got or whatever it might be that I'm dealing with now so that I can maximise these opportunities that are in front of me. Otherwise, I'm going to waste them. So that was the yeah. sort of... 
And it must be really difficult for people, I guess, you know, when people are trying to be supportive and they're trying to be encouraging and they're saying, look, you know, everything's great. You've had like, you know, an amazing nine years of playing rugby. You've done all these really amazing things with great achievements. I guess when you have had that taken away from you, it must be quite difficult for people to, for them to yeah, but that understand was, the feelings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And But that was also some of the, whatever, the, 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 ration, the reasons as to why it was a negative one because... You know, you were seeking those sort of affirmations all the time for people of like, well, this is amazing. Look at what you've done. And this is brilliant. And you shouldn't have to worry. But they were all the sort of, that was the smokescreen. All that stuff was a smokescreen away from actually what was underlying underneath it all, which was not really knowing what you wanted to do, not really being certain about your, you know, your future or who you were, your own identity and what, what who you wanted to be as a as a person and how you wanted to behave and that you know all these other things were just a a guise for that for to hide behind all that so you you touched on previously about how you know sort of the mentality within rugby is very much sweep it under the carpet man up get on with it everything's going to be fine but the rpa um, released a statistic i think it was earlier this year about 62 percent of rugby players are now contacting them for support. Yeah, yeah. Um, and they're dealing with prescription drug abuse. So, um, yeah, I mean, that, that's, that's, you know, the lid has been lifted massively yeah, um, in the last, and that's probably one of, the, one of the things I'm so proud of launching with the RPA, which is the Lift the Weight campaign. You know, we, yeah, we it's launched a great that campaign. Two, two, three years ago now. Um, and that was the sort of first time we sort of lifted the lid and shone the light on on this whole sort of like mental health piece. And you know, the great thing about it is it's just helped more and more people get comfortable with the fact that actually it's okay to sort of you know, admit you're struggling and to share your feelings and to, to talk about these things so that, you know, they can be dealt with further down the line. Because the last thing we want is to have, you know, situations like, you know, a Dan Vickerman who you know, suffered in silence and eventually took his life. Yeah, male suicide is now the leading cause of death in 21 to 40-year-old guys. No, that's a you know, terrible statistic and a terrible situation. And But thankfully, it's something that we can help you know, manage or cure or whatever else like that by, um, by constantly champion, championing the, the, the benefits and the rewards from talking, you know, from going out and, and seeking help, seeking advice, seeking counsel and... Um, and that can be from anyone. That can be from somebody you don't know or to, to your friends, family, whatever works for the individual. Yeah, and I think you know, we're seeing more and more people talking about mental health now, both you know, professional sportswomen and sportsmen opening up, celebrities, influencers, ambassadors. You know, what do you think that needs to be done across society in order to normalise the, the mental health conversation? Well, I just think you know, encouraging more and more people to talk. You know, That's the most important part of it all is that it's just encouraging that just knowing that that um, you don't have to be that you know big, burly, tough person all the time. You know, yes, okay, you do need to do that in certain instances on a rugby field or whatever. Like in my job, in, yes, you needed to do that. But off the field, you don't need to maintain that persona all the time. And the more and more people that recognise uh, the need to to be there and to support people and to encourage and to listen. Probably then that's the most important part is to listen, you know, the, you know, the better. Um, and I think if if society can move to that, to that sort of way of thinking and, and, and to that sort of um, 
yeah, I guess you know, that position of being a listener rather than um, listener and a learner rather than constantly just trying to maintain a, a persona. Um, I think that would be a, a fabulous scenario for everybody to be in. Yeah, so one where we move away from discrimination and judging people to be more empathetic, caring, uh, and just having a listening ear available for those who need it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I do sometimes think you've got to, you know, you need to call a spade a spade sometimes. And you know, human behavior can sometimes be, to, you know, to hide around certain things too. But, but I do think you know, deal with those insecurities, those vulnerabilities, help people. You know, don't be a closed book and you know, the, the result will be a positive one for everybody involved. Mm. So having been through what you have been through, how easy do you find it to talk about your mental health now and what do you do to stay in a positive frame of mind? I do. I find it a lot easier to, to talk about it now, mainly because I, if I'm honest, I don't feel like I need to maintain the image and the persona that of, of, of Ollie Phillips, the rugby player, if I'm honest. And I, I enjoy the fact that, I, you know, either like me or lump me, I, I, it doesn't bother me anymore, you know this is who I am, this is how I feel, this is what I think. I know I'm not a nasty bloke, so take take me or leave me, but the, but this is who I am and I'm comfortable now in my own sort of skin and I, I do things for me and for my own self-worth and self-validation rather than that from somebody else. And that, that's, a, that's a big shift in my mindset over the last probably, well, the last sort of three, four years to how I was for probably... 25 30 years so yeah i mean that's the, the biggest shift for me that's incredible mm -hmm. um one final question to wrap things up we yep. always ask this to everyone okay if you could give people that are, are going through a tough time right now three pieces of advice what would they be it's never as bad as it seems for starters um i went through some pretty dark times and i and on reflection it's only on reflection it's and it is only in hindsight you realize it's it's not as bad as it as it seemed or first seemed so that's number one um number two is however however you're feeling seek some help or seek some advice some guidance from whoever that might be that you're comfortable with in talking to about it so that you can share that experience because then that helps to normalize it for you and and equally helps you to process it if you can talk to somebody about it because you can actually hear yourself speaking about it and bizarrely you figure it out as as you're speaking and then you know the, the final bit is um you know focus on you and what matters to you um and not anybody else like if you can you can get comfortable in your own skin in your own behavior and your own feelings then you're going to set yourself up for you know a, a much smoother and enjoyable life yeah, I think that's really important. Do what you what you want to do for you and feel good about it, you know, to please yourself, yeah. not to please other people. Yeah. Very wise words. Thanks, Thor. Thank you very much. Wow, what a wonderful conversation. Isn't Ollie just the best? Such an honest and genuine person. So Ollie's proved how challenging the transition from professional sport to normal life can be. It's a strength to be able to talk about our emotions, not a weakness. Next week, I'll be chatting to Ben Bidwell, otherwise known as the Naked Professor. So Ben is a tech entrepreneur turned life coach and a mental health advocate. Ben's story is one of complete humility and inspiration. 
you're definitely going to love hearing about how candid he is and his relationship issues and how he's overcome them. So get that episode as soon as it drops when you hit the subscribe button. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and all the other places you'd go to find a podcast. Just search for Inside Out. So in the meantime, if you'd like to talk to someone, don't forget you can download the Inside Out app and access coaching and therapy whenever you may need it. Or if you need urgent help, the Samaritans are on hand 24-7 and can be contacted by dialing 116-123. It's completely confidential and the guys there are super friendly and approachable. Please do make sure that you seek advice from a trained medical practitioner before self-diagnosing or changing any medications. So until next week, thanks again to Ollie, our producer, and all you lovely people for tuning in. Have a great week. As always, think happy vibes, and don't forget to let the inside out. <laughs>